didn't it? Before we um, get into the sermon, I just if you're visiting with us today, today is the day in which we uh, celebrate the Lord's table, and on that day in our church, we after service go and and actually do the real Lord's table. This is a, a copy, a, a small uh, uh, version of it, um, but we invite you, if you can stay after service in our big room, we're going to have food, we're going to have fellowship, hanging out together and eating. I mean, come on, right? I mean, I don't know who's playing this afternoon, but it really doesn't matter because Jesus is greater than the Giants or the Jets and even the Mets. And even the Mets, yes, he's greater than that. Well, we're going to continue our series, actually, in, in, in prayer, and I think it fits so well. We're, remember, if you, uh, two weeks ago, because last week Mitch Glacier was here, um, saw that prayer is grounded in grace, that prayer is uh, evidence of grace, and it's a means of grace. Today, as we continue looking at the, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, it's really the Apostles' Prayer, the Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. You know the prayer, our Father in heaven. Well, today we're going to see how God's name is holy. Holy is your name is the title. I invite you to stand with me uh, as I would read from Scripture and we would hear what the Lord would say to us this day. Our text today is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Let's pray first. Father, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We ask, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself to us, that your holiness and your mercy would be made known to us this day. I pray, Lord God, that if there are any here today who are struggling in their faith, wondering about you if you even are real, that you would make yourself known. I pray that for those who need it today would be the day of salvation, that they wouldn't, nobody would harden their hearts today if they hear the Lord's voice. I pray today, Lord God, for those who, some of us who may be struggling, Lord, in life, that it would be an encouragement to us today that we would hear you, Lord God, this day, that you would be a comfort and a strength and that through the truth of your word and who you are, that we would enter into your rest this day. So be with us, Lord God. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand what you say to us this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what God says to us. <clears throat> and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray that your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
We're really going to concentrate on verses 9. Really, verse 9 actually is pretty much what we're going to concentrate on. Jesus begins, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. The word Father is, 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 is pot, pater in the Greek, and it means one who combines aspect of supernatural authority and care for his people. That's the definition of it. Really, with you say, our Father in heaven, what you are saying and what you are admitting to, and it's true, is that there is one who is sovereign in heaven. Sovereign. Ruler over all things. And by all things, we mean all things. Every molecule in the world is subject to Jesus Christ. There is not, as uh, 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 the late R.C. Sproul said there is not one maverick molecule. Nothing's happening in this world outside of Jesus Christ. Allowing it, holding it together. This pulpit is held together as wood because Jesus Christ himself is holding this together as oak. Now you may say that's just weird. It's true. The Bible tells us that in him all things hold together. All things So by saying our Father in heaven, you're admitting that God is sovereign. The prophet Isaiah puts it like this in Isaiah chapter 40. He says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will you compare me that I should be like him? To understand what God is saying. You have these rulers in the world, these princes, these uh, kings, presidents, and all those things. You have these rulers. Are you actually going to compare me to one of them? Because I'm the one that gave them the place, and I'm the one that can remove them from the place. They are nothing to me. Not that he doesn't care, but in comparison to greatness, everybody is nothing compared to God. He says, to whom you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. And he says, and here's proof that I'm different. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name? By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. What's, he, what's the prophet telling us that God is saying, listen, go outside. Go at night. It's a little hard here where we live because of light pollution. But look up in the sky and look at the stars and say, who made these? The prophet would later tell us that God literally flicked them into place and that he knows them by name. Right? So don't, don't go and get your, a star named after your kid that's born or something like that because who knows the name? God knows the name of the star, and that's, that's God's, God's knowledge only. But when we say our Father in heaven, we say God is sovereign, but we're also saying, therefore, God is creator. 
that God is creator because if he's our father in heaven and the earth is here and I'm here, then obviously he created me. He created you. He created all that there is in this world. All life is from him. And so a third truth that is found in our father in heaven is this, that God is self-existent. That God has life in himself. It only makes sense if he's creator and he gives life, then he himself must be life. Nothing can come out of nothing, right? Only God can create something out of nothing. Ex nihilo would be the Latin. Out of nothing, God created. There was no material to begin with. There wasn't, uh, you know, a couple little molecules and this and some primordial swamp and, you know, God hit it with lightning and, ooh, here it comes. And, and, and it progressed over time to become human beings and plants and animals. Not possible. Just, it's comp- it is so illogical to even think that way. You should have pity on people who actually think that they're a mistake. That this all happened by accident, by a random chance of events. Not true. Not true at all. God is very purposeful. And God gives life. And Jesus is our life. John, in the beginning of his gospel, writes this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When we say our Father in heaven, we're saying God is creator, God is self-existent, God is the one who gives life, and that God holds all things together. As I already said, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says this, For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What's the word that keeps getting repeated? The word all, 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 all. Everything is subject to Jesus Christ. He is holding all things together. Because he is sovereign. Because he is ruler over this world. Whether we believe it or not, he is. He alone is to be glorified. That's why Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, writes this. Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every human being is subject to this truth. From Adam to the last person that will ever be born is subject to the truth that God is our Father in heaven. It's for all people. And all people will one day acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be either to their glorification or to their damnation. That's it. 
People who have made a life of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, not caring about or even thinking about that God created the world, that God is in charge, that I stand before a holy and a just God. I'm accountable to Him. One day on the day of their death, unless they repent, unless they have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith, will stand before His full glory and will admit that He is Lord, but it will not be for salvation. They will be admitting a truth that they have rejected their entire life. And by their words, they will be condemned. Have you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ in this life? You call him Lord and Savior now? Do you live in such a way that that is played out in your life as the best that you can? It will be to your salvation to wait It will be to your damnation. Our Father in heaven is for all people. But there's another way in which to understand what Jesus is saying. It's by saying, my Father in heaven. My Father in heaven. What's the difference? Our and my. Ours for all people. We understand basic English. I'm starting to sometimes. Um, But my is personal. This is my Father in heaven. And you also can say, my Father in heaven. If we first understand he's our Father. And collectively as a church, we individually say my Father, but we also say our Father. But when we say my Father... What gives me the right to say to God, you are my Father in heaven? You have no right. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's the one who has come to understand this truth, that God is sovereign, I am not, I stand before a holy and a righteous and a just God, I'm accountable to him, that there's a vast gulf between me and God, that my sins have separated me from God. I have no claim to anything on God. The only claim I have is that you are my heavenly Father. You are our Father. You are the Sovereign. And that's where the relationship ends. For the people who have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, They can say, my Father in heaven, have you acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Perhaps you're visiting today and you're wondering, what are all these songs about this blood? You people are morbid. What's wrong with you? Well, it's actually very purposeful. The Scriptures tell us That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Throughout the millennia, throughout history, people have been making sacrifices, whether it's animal or human. History has shown us they do that. And they do that for a reason, to get in the good graces of whatever God they're praying to. God told Adam, here's my rule for you. Here's one tree. Just don't eat of it. But if you do, you will die. And of course, what did Adam do? He ate of it. If I tell you, don't touch the, uh, the, the, the pew in front of you, 
you naturally just want to touch the pew in front of you. Some of you probably already did, and I'm just going to touch it, because that's what's inside of human humans. He was told not to. He did. He didn't die physically. He will die. He did die eventually physically. We will all die physically, but he died spiritually. A relationship was broken with God. And the only way to atone for that, the only way to, for, for a time being to bridge that gap was for a life to be paid, a life for a life. And God in his mercy allowed it to be lambs and goats. He didn't require it of Adam. What if he said, Adam, now you're going to pay the price? Well, you and I would not be here, would we? But God in his mercy, and God in his mercy set forth a plan according to the counsel of his own will that there would come a lamb, the lamb, the only lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would never disobey God. He would never once tell God, I don't care what you say, God. He says, I have, here I am, it is written about me, I have come to do your will, O Lord. And Jesus perfectly, every time, did the Lord's will. Never once sinned. Never once, in his mind or his body, never once sinned. He was truly the only innocent person, the only perfect person. That's why he had to be conceived of the Holy Spirit. Joseph wasn't involved in the making of Jesus. God was. He was the God-man. And because there was still that separation between God and man, this gulf that is inseparable, that unless God himself came down and bridged the gap, you and I were destined for hell. You and I were destined on the day of our death to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus Christ is Lord and be cast into hell. And rightfully so. In order, because God doesn't want that, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, he sent a lamb that would be sacrificed and would cover the wrath of God. And so we sing about the blood of the lamb. We say, thank you, Lord, for the blood of the lamb. And we ask the question, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Because if you're not washed in the blood of the lamb, you bear your own sin, you bear your own guilt, and you will stand before God on your own works and on your own merit. And I'm telling you right now, I plead with you, you will not be able to stand before God on your own merits. You will only be able to stand before God covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, which ironically does not make you red, it makes you white. It makes you pure. The person who's going to say, my Father in heaven realizes for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They also know this truth, that they can say, my Father, because in that exchange that happened, that my sin went to Christ and Christ's holiness, his righteousness went to me, that I can call God my Father. Paul, writing to the church of Rome, tells us this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Which you've probably heard in Sunday school means daddy. But actually, it doesn't. It just means father. 
It's just an Arabic, the Aramaic way of saying father. It's father, father, or Abba, father. But the idea is there that I am now approaching a holy God, but in a whole different relationship a loving, caring relationship where God's love and care has been extended to me. The prophet Isaiah again says this in Isaiah 40 about the heart of God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So we have this picture of God, not as sovereign. Yes, he is sovereign, but not in a fearful way, but in a way that God comes down and he scoops you up and holds you close to his chest. What do you do when your child, if you have a child, if you've been blessed with a child, or you work with children, and they start crying? What's the first thing you do? Get away from me, you little brat. No. What do you do? Tanya, what do you do? Pick them right up. Hold them close. That's what God does for you. That's God's heart towards his children. And you can say, my father in heaven. Jesus also puts it this way about God in being my father. He's speaking to the disciples. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look at the idea. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, I got it covered. I'm your Father in heaven. And I created everything. I own everything. Every molecule works according to how I've designed it to be and how I want it to be. You were fearfully and wonderfully knit together in your mother's womb. You know what? You don't need to fear whatever this is even if you made it yourself. Yes, you'll bear consequences, but I'm behind you. And when death, eternal death, comes looking for you, if you are God's child, it has no hold on you. It will seek you on the day of great judgment when all men will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for their life. Death will ask to have you, but it cannot because life, Jesus Christ, has hold of you. Fear not, little flock. Whatever happens in this world, as bad as it can be, as horrible as it can be, is nothing compared to if God is not your heavenly Father. He has you covered on the greatest disaster that could ever happen to you, which is God himself. See, in order to get, as I've already said, to get from our Father to my Heavenly Father, the issue of holiness has to be dealt with. The issue of holiness has to be dealt with. And that's why Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. If you listen to the late R.C. Sproul, he's got a great sermon series on this, on the Lord's Prayer. He says, what's the first request? Right? And, 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 and uh, you know, the show, the, the, the biblical acumen of my wife, I said, your kingdom come, and my wife goes, no, it's not. Like, like what's wrong with you? You're the pastor? How would be your name? 
I never ever thought about it. I thought it was just like, a, you know, hey, hallowed be your name. No, that's the first request. In your prayer, you should ask God, my Father, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. But again, that's understand in two ways. Hallowed be your name is for all people. All people. Again, from Adam to the last person who ever be born falls under the jurisdiction of hallowed be your name. Again, what does the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah 40, 25? We already read it. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. What do we mean by the Holy One? To be holy means to be set apart, to be completely different. God has to be holy if he's creator. There's no other option for it. He's not like us or one of us. If you were to create something, uh, and I was watching that, the, the show Shark Tank last night, right? I, mean, I haven't watched it in a while. It's an interesting show, and some things people come up with, I'm like, whoa, who would, you know? Then I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. But I would never equate the inventor to be equal with the product, right? It would just be, it would be stupid. It'd be foolish. God as creator and sovereign has to be set apart. He's different than us. He's different than us in every single category. Yes, we were created in his image. That means we're not like him. We share some attributes of God and that we can think and have reason and create those things, not create like God creates. But God is holy. Scott Swain, a professor of theology at Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, tweeted out the other day, because that's the only social media I have, and I'm even getting sick of that, is uh, uh, he says this, God's proper name, Yahweh, that's the Jewish way to say Yahweh, is holy. It does not pick him out from a larger category of divine beings. We need to know that truth. God is not picked out from a larger, larger category of divine beings. His name, which is holy, it sets him apart from all that is common, all that is profane, as one who alone is God, pure God, and nothing but God. God is holy. God tells us in his word for all people, all people are to obey this truth are to measure up to this truth. 1 Peter 1.16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Does anybody feel the tension already? Anybody already see that you're already on the wrong side of the equation? If the standard is holiness, who here is willing to say, I am holy like God? Raise your hand because I will let you come right up here and I will sit down because you deserve to be here and I certainly don't. Nobody would raise, nobody in their right mind would raise their hand and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm equal with God in holiness. Because if you were holy like God, you would be God. God alone is holy. And God requires of us that we be holy. The scriptures tell us very clearly that without holiness, you and I will never see God. 
We'll never see God in terms of, I'll see God on the day of judgment, but I will not live with God. I will not live with God. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Again, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica says this. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. There's a problem. God says and requires and can require, he has the right to require that you and I be holy. But we're not holy. You're not holy. I'm not holy. Even my dogs are not holy. As much as I love my dogs, they're not holy. They are obedient to God in every way, more so than you and I, but they're not holy. The fact is, we all fall under this category of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where you and I are. That's what it means to understand that let your name be holy. That God is in a category by himself. But there's another way to understand it. Let your name be kept holy. Let your name be kept holy. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. And then the person who understands who Jesus is, understands repentance, understands coming to faith, says, let your name be kept holy. You only come to that understanding of let your name be kept holy through repentance. Repentance means to change one's mind. I think we can best see it at the song, At Calvary. Let me read it for you. You'll know it. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. But, but by God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. And what happened at Calvary? Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Have you experienced that in your life? Do you understand the profound sinfulness of your soul? Do you understand the profound freedom that is found in Jesus Christ alone? Do you understand that you are heavy laden, burdened, that Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest for your souls? It's not coming to Jesus to have your problems fixed because those charlatans that are on TV to tell you that are lying to you. It's not going to fix your problems in this world. 
He's going to fix your greatest problem. That you have fallen short of the glory of God. And in Christ Jesus, and on His death on the cross, and His resurrection on your behalf, causes you to meet the standard of God's holiness. Because when you stand before God, if in true saving faith, you've called upon the Lord for the forgiveness of sins on the day of your death, or when Christ returns, whichever comes first, and you stand before God, and you give an account for your life, and trust me, everybody will give an account for their life. The books will be opened, the Bible says. Names will be read. Your de- everything you did ever in life, secret or public, is going to be read. And everybody- That's a scary thought in itself, isn't it? Right? God knows what you think in your heart, and that's going to be, well, you thought this on, on, on October 1st, 2022. Pfft, how did you know that, God? Well, he knows everything. Nobody's getting away with nothing. You'll have a guilt, you'll have a rap sheet that condemns you 100%. But when it's come out and it's read, there's going to be nothing on the page. Because the blood of Christ has made it white as snow. You'll hear the words, not guilty. Not guilty. Because you will look at the one who was pronounced guilty for you, Jesus Christ. Have you experienced that today? Do you understand that truth? How can you experience that truth today? The Bible's very clear. In the book of Romans, we read this in Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Confesses what? Confesses that I've sinned before you, God. You mean to go, i got to confess everything I've done? No, you don't even remember everything you've done. You know what, God? I've sinned before you. Would you forgive me of my sins, God? I claim what Christ has done for me. Would you apply it to my life, to my soul? If that's said in faith, God says, yes, absolutely. It'll never be a no. It'll always be a yes. For the scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. What does that mean? That means that at the day of of the great judgment seat, you'll hear not guilty, not, you, won't, you will not hear the word guilty, you will only hear not guilty. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, and bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you be saved today? Would you call upon the Lord today in true saving faith? And if you have, and if you understand the truth of God, of the difference between our Father in heaven and my heavenly Father, you understand the difference between um, hallowed be your name and may your name be kept holy, then this will be true of you, as it says in Peter, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense in anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
In other words, you will hold Christ as holy because you understand what God did for you in Christ. You understand the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus took your sin and you took his holiness. And therefore you hold his holiness in your heart. And how does that look in the life of a believer? R. Kent Hughes, I think, does a great job in his commentary uh, on this. He says, first, we are careful not to profane God's name with our mouths. We are careful not to profane God's name with our mouths. We're not using Jesus as a swear word. We're not mindlessly saying, oh, my God. That's God's name. It defines who he is. He is holy. His very name means holy. We reverence him as father with acts of public and private worship. In other words, we recognize who God is and we worship him as he should be. We reverence God or hallow his name when our beliefs concerning him are worthy of him. I love that one. In other words, we... We are diligent to study God's word to say, what am I to believe about God? Not what I think about God. I've done many funerals in my life. I've done funerals for people. Every once in a while, I get a call. Particularly, it happened a lot when I was in New York. And um, the funeral home would call, and they say, "I got so they have no, no pastor, they have nothing, but... They, um, they want a pastor at their funeral. And it's always kind of like, nah, that's a little, you know, I don't know the family, I, you know. But I take it because it's an opportunity to share the gospel. But I've yet, I've, I have yet to hear anybody ever say that they don't know God. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, this. And then you go into what they believe about God. I'm thinking, well, there's no way you know God. Because God in his word says this. You're saying, I can, I can just believe whatever I want about God. Oh, I believe God is good. God is good. Well, God is good. Oh, I believe God is going to be kind. God's going to be good to me on a, uh, 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 and let me into heaven. Because I'm not as bad as... Of course, Hitler's always a good one, right? Putin's a good one. Nowadays, it's Trump or it's Joe Biden or somebody. We'll point to somebody and we'll say, well, I'm not as bad as them. That is the worst standard to go by. Because remember, Jesus knows what you think inside your heart. We reverence God or hallow his name when our beliefs concerning him are worthy of him. Do we think rightly about who God is? God says, this is how you're to think about me. This way, and if my way, my belief disagrees with this, I bring my thinking in line with what God says, not the other way around. I don't twist this to say, well, yeah, you know, I can see that. I'm not going to bow and, and change on, on, well, listen, on God as creator, on the idea that God created them male and female, that marriage is between a man and a woman only, I'm not going to bend on those things because God says I can't. And so I honor God as holy when I believe as God tells me to believe. That's a way of honoring God, keeping him as holy. 
And then we hollow his name by living a life that displays that he is our father. Does that mean I'm going to be perfect? No, I'm going to strive for it. And then when I mess up, I ask for forgiveness from God and from you. You may grant it. You may not grant it. I know God will. So the question before the court, so to speak, is, is he to you our Father in heaven? Is he my heavenly Father? Is it hallowed be your name? Or is it may I keep your name holy? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are holy and a righteous and a just God. We thank you that in you, in Christ Jesus, for those who understand the truth of who you are, understand the predicament that we're in, that we're without hope and without God in this world until Jesus Christ comes into our life, till we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith, we are doomed to eternity outside of you. So thank you for making yourself known to us. Thank you that we can say, my Father in heaven, and that we can say, may I keep your name holy. We thank you that it's made possible only through the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, on our behalf. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, it is Communion Sunday, the Lord's Day, and on it we celebrate the Lord's table.